Why don't you grab your Bible, turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. If this is your first time with us, we are so honored that you're here. We've been making our way through the book of 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians was actually a letter written from the Apostle Paul to uh, the very first church in a city called Corinth. And Paul is writing to them because this unusual set of circumstances is is happening there in Corinth among the people of God. Uh, See, what has happened is Paul has come in and and he started this church and he's, he's led this church, but then he's moved on. He's an apostle and so that's what he does. He comes in, he starts things, he stays with them for a while, but then he moves on to another place and does the same thing. So the Corinthians, after having built their whole church on the foundation that Paul laid, they started looking at the, the ministry of the Apostle Paul and they started saying, hey, hold on just a second. You know, should we really be listening to this guy? Because as we scan the horizon of his ministry, it does not appear that it's going that well. I mean, every place he's going, he's being persecuted. Every place he's going, he's being stoned. Every place he's, he's going, he's, you know, they're beating him or they, they're bringing him before some kind of court or uh, he's being rejected and he's, he, he just seems like he's got all this weakness and things are not going well. And, and surely, 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 if God were with him, then better things would be happening to him. If God were really with him and we should listen to him, I mean, I think things would be going a little bit better than they, they are. And so Paul hears these rumblings, hears about these rumblings in the Corinthian church. And so he writes them this letter of Second Corinthians. And the, the whole purpose of the letter is to remind them, no, I am somebody that you should listen to. And as proof, as the reason why you should listen to me, I present to you not my eloquence, not my massive success, but my weakness. In fact, I present to you as proof, as the reason why you should listen to me, the fact that I am suffering in Jesus' name. That is the way he says it in Galatians, that I do bear on my body the brand marks of Jesus Christ. And so he's been talking about his suffering in chapter 4. And then we get to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And so I want to read for you the end of 2 Corinthians chapter 4 where we left off last week, and then we'll move in to chapter 5. So 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16. He says, Therefore we do not give up. Even though our outer person is being destroyed, our inner person is being renewed day by day. For our momentary light affliction is producing for us an absolutely incomparable eternal weight of glory. So we do not focus on what is seen, but what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. For we know that if our temporary earthly dwelling is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal dwelling in the heavens, not made with hands. Indeed, we groan in this body, desiring to put on our dwelling from heaven. Since when we are clothed, we will not be found naked. Indeed, we groan while we are in this tent, burdened as we are, because we do not want to be unclothed but clothed, so that mortality may be swallowed up by life. And the one who prepared us for this very purpose is God, who gave us the Spirit as a down payment. So we are always confident and know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we walk by faith and not by sight. And we are confident and satisfied to be out of the body and at home with the Lord. 
Therefore, whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to be pleasing to Him. For we must all appear before the tribunal of Christ, so that each may be repaid for what he has done in the body, whether good or worthless. I've told you before that Amanda and I met in the summer in between college semesters. Uh, uh, I was going to school in Missouri. She was going to school here in Texas. And and so we met doing summer missions and immediately she fell in love with me. It was so obvious that she was into me the very first time that she saw me. Obviously, look at me. I look better today than I did back then. And so um, we met immediately just felt so strongly about one another. And just the, the whole summer, romantic goo is just flying everywhere. It's just constant goo. Goo in cards, goo in voicemails, goo in, uh, they didn't have text messages back then, but goo in notes, just goo in everything. Just goo, 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 romance, 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 romance. Well, we came to the end of the summer and we got all these strong feelings for one another and we say an emotional goodbye. I won't tell you which one was emotional, but it was me. And so I got to make this long drive back to Missouri and and so I'm just so filled up by the summer that we've had together and, uh, and looking forward to the future, even though we're going to be doing this long distance. I get to Sherman, Texas on my drive back to Missouri. Anybody ever been to Sherman before? Well, in Sherman, Texas, 12 and a half years ago, uh, I had to get off the, the highway to get something to eat. I think it was uh, dinner time. And, and so I pull off the highway and I get onto one of the side roads there in Sherman to find something healthy like McDonald's. And, and as I'm driving on one of those side roads, I, I see... Uh, this bridal store. Now, I think I'm 19 years old at the time, so like bridal stores are not just like popping up everywhere for me. Those are not something that I notice. But um, I, I noticed this one. It's got like the heavenly glow around it and the lights. It's just it's amazing. And in the window of this bridal store are two mannequins. One that is dressed up like a groom with a tuxedo and one that is dressed up like the bride with the beautiful wedding gown. And I saw that and, and, and I'm like, Lord, is that you like... Is this a sign? I think this is a sign, you know. But we're, we're, I'm 19, you know, and I've barely started college, not even close to finishing. I don't have a job. I'm not even sure what I want to do with my life at that time. So we're not even remotely close to getting married. But I got all these feelings that I think that you should have if you want to get married. And so I, I get my healthy option at McDonald's and, and I get back onto the, the freeway and and I'm heading down the highway, and I just am like overflowing with love. I and mean, men, I know you're consistently overflowing with love at home, but you know, um, just overflowing with love. And, and so I pick up the phone, and I, and I want to call Amanda. She, she doesn't pick up the phone, so it's going straight to voicemail, which is fantastic because, at least for me, I'm always better at saying the romantic stuff, like not directly to her. You know what I mean? Men, you know what I'm talking about? Like it's easier to say the, the sweet stuff, like when you're looking at the ground or when you're shoulder to shoulder, than to look deep in my eyes. You know? that's just awkward. I don't care how long you've been married. It's just awkward to look into somebody's eyes, you know, for a long time and say something vulnerable. And so I'm glad actually that she doesn't pick up the phone and she leaves a voicemail. Hopefully that's everybody in the room and not just me. We'll we'll go to counseling. Um, There's, I'm broken. I'm broken on the inside. So I'm leaving a voicemail and it's just, man, just goo, just, just goo, 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 goo. I get to the very end and I'm saying goodbye and I go, I love but we didn't say love at the time. Like, you know, because you don't break that out like in the first couple of months. That's a big deal. If you're, if you're thinking about you're dating somebody right now and you've not dropped the L-bomb, like don't yet. It's probably not time, you know, because that's a bomb. When it drops into the relationship, stuff is going to happen, either good or bad. And so we were not there in a place where we were using the L-bomb. And so that's love in case any of you are unfamiliar with the L-bomb. 
But like I'm already saying it, like it's coming out of my mouth, and I and I realize like halfway through the syllable that like what am I going to do now? Because you can't turn the word love into anything else. Like you can't, like you just cannot. I loud you, you know, like nothing else. I lollipop, you know. I mean, just nothing else works there, and so I just didn't end the word. I just went I love. All right, I gotta go. Because you can't get that one back. Now, I'm not normally like that. I'm not normally just this like wellspring of emotion. But seeing those mannequins, seeing that bride and groom in the bridal store got me thinking about the possibility of a day that was to come in the future. Now, it was going to be a couple years into the future. But I was excited about the possibility of that future day and those feelings and that excitement and that anticipation about a future day just overflowed into my current day. And that's what the Apostle Paul is doing here in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. He's telling us about a future day that's to come. One that should make us so excited that it overflows into our current day. There is a day coming that is so exciting and should be filled with so much anticipation for followers of Jesus that the effects of that future day should be found in this present day. That because that future day is of significant importance... It means that today is of significant importance. Now, as students of the scripture, which hopefully we're all students of the scripture, if you are a follower of Jesus, then you need to be in the word of God. Uh, Jesus himself said that man does not live on bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And so if you're a follower of Jesus, he's telling you, you've got to get into the word of God, not just read it like a, a, a way a, a high school uh, student might you know, read their homework, but read it uh, like it's the very life Um, from God to you. And so as a student of Scripture, when you're reading it, uh, every student needs a timeline in the back of their mind when you come to it. If you're going to read the Scripture for all it's worth, you need a timeline floating around your brain every time that you open up the Bible. And so we could start all the way back in the beginning in the Old Testament. We could put hundreds of little dots on that timeline, but for today, we don't have time. Uh, So we'll just start with the Old Testament, if you can imagine. In fact, if you want to write in your Bible, that's allowed. Um, And there are always blank pages in the beginning and end of your Bible. So if you want to make a little timeline with me this morning, morning that might be helpful if you don't have one but you can make a line and at the very beginning you put the old testament now we could put a lot more dots on that old testament important events we just don't have time to do that today and then after the old testament we might put the birth of jesus that's pretty significant then you might put the death of jesus on the cross for our sins to take that sin away so that when god looks at us he sees us clean and holy not sinful and twisted and broken we would put the resurrection of jesus just three days after the death of Jesus. We put the ascension of Jesus on that timeline. When Jesus ascended up into heaven, and then now he sits at the right hand of the Father. We would put the coming of the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2, the day of Pentecost. That's when the church age began. This is the age of the church. I don't care what the culture tells you. It's not the age of technology. It's not the age of digital awareness. It is the age of the church of Jesus Christ. When God looks at our generation, he sees us in the age of the church. That's why we believe what we're doing here is really important. That's why we're building the church. That's why we want to expand not just our church, but the church of Jesus Christ. Because this is the age of the church. Now that's all past and present. But there's things on that timeline that you need to know that are in the future. And when we get to the future stuff, the Bible is a mystery, and so you can read a bunch of stuff, and may, people may disagree about where, which dots go where, but a few things I think you can be sure of. You can be sure that there is a dot on your timeline that days of tribulation are coming. 
Days when it's hard to be a Christian. Days when it appears that the wrath of God is being poured out in judgment on, on the world because of all the sin and twisted brokenness that humanity has stored up. Now somewhere the Bible gives us evidence in those days of tribulation. Hopefully, according to the word of God, we as the church, the followers of Jesus, we won't have to be here for that. That hopefully sometime he pulls us out of that, pours out his judgment on the world. But after that day of tribulation, the day of days is coming. The return of the Lord Jesus Christ. See, when he left earth, he ascended up into heaven. His disciples are left standing there. Now you've got to imagine what they're thinking and feeling. Because they've dedicated three years to this man. To follow him, to, to, to be like him. They believe that he is the Messiah. They believe that he is the Savior. The one that had been prophesied about. They have put all their eggs in his basket. And it appears that it's going really, really well uh, until he dies. And, well, it looks like maybe we chose wrong. But then he's raised from the dead. And now they're like, that's what I'm talking about. You know, I picked a guy that was awesome, but then he died. But then he raised from the dead. That's amazing. But then he ascends up into heaven. So they were, they were high, and then they were low, and then they were high again, and now they're low again because now he's leaving. And as he disappears up into the, the air, these angels appear to the disciples, and they say, listen, the, in the same way that you saw him leave, he's going to return. It's really going to happen. Jesus Christ physically will set his physical feet on this physical earth again. Then the Bible says when that happens, if you and I have already passed away, meaning we haven't, aren't living at that moment that he physically returns, wherever your, your body is, wherever the dust and the ashes are for your body will be transformed. That body will be transformed and resurrected from the dead just like Jesus' body was resurrected from the dead and you'll have the same kind of body that he had, which we'll see in just a second. And your soul, which has been with God the whole time, you who have been with God the whole time, will be reunited with that body in the day of the resurrection of the dead. Then there'll be this period of peace where Jesus rules on the earth. The reign of God will be here. There'll be a last conflict with evil, And then finally, death, Satan, and hell all put under the feet of Jesus forever and ever and ever. There'll be a new heaven, a new earth, and we will live eternally with God, with Christ, in a new heaven and new earth. And you need a timeline in your mind when you come to the scripture. Otherwise, you won't have any idea what Paul is talking about in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I mean, look at some of the words that he's using here in verse 1. For we know that our temporary earthly dwelling is destroyed... We have a building from God, an eternal dwelling in the heavens, not made with hands. What's he talking about? He's talking about our bodies. He's talking about our lives. That this body that you and I have, this life that you and I have, it's being destroyed. It's being dismantled. It's being taken away. I don't need to tell you that if you are 30 plus years old. You know, okay, yeah, this is disintegrating right before my eyes. It's expanding a little bit more as it disintegrates, but it's disintegrating. Our earthly body... It's perishing. It's going away. But we have a building from God, an eternal dwelling. What's he talking about? He's talking about our new body, our resurrected body that will be like Jesus. Remember when Jesus was raised from the dead, he appears to his followers. They recognize him, so he looks like Jesus. He can eat. He can talk. He can touch. He has a body. It's very real. And yet he moves in and out of rooms as he wishes without using doors. Pretty excited about that, honestly. Heaven's going to be amazing for a lot of reasons. One is, I might get to walk through walls. 
I mean, if you're just making a list, that's got to be on there somewhere, right, men? We're going to get these new resurrected bodies. But right now, we're in this body, which he says is temporary. And I want you to see how he describes this temporary body, this temporary dwelling in verse 4. Indeed, we groan while we are in this tent. In this tent. Now, if you are a student of Scripture and you have a little bit of experience, you're maybe going back to the last place you remember the word tent being used in the Bible. You've got to go maybe all the way back to the Old Testament in the very beginning in Genesis. God calls this man Abraham away from his city, away from his permanent dwelling. And he says, Abraham, I want to start a people. Because through this one people, I'm going to show the whole world what I am like. How I love and how I make covenants and promises to people and how I keep those promises. And I'm going to start with you, but here's the deal. You've got to leave your place and you've got to come and live in a tent. You and your family, your people, you're going to travel around. I'm going to tell you where to go. You're not going to know where you're going. I'm just going to tell you where to go. And you're just going to be a nomad. You're going to sojourn in somebody else's land. You're going to borrow land. You're going to live there for a while, then you're going to move on. And so Abraham, for his whole life, and his relationship with God, he's just living in these massive tents, just nomads in borrowed spaces. But God had given him a promise. One day, Abraham, your descendants, they're going to move into this land and they're going to set up houses. They're not going to have tents anymore. I'm going to give them this land that you've been sojourning in. It's going to be just theirs. And they'll have permanent houses where you've had tents. But this tent that we're in, just like Abraham, it's temporary. There is no foundation in this tent, this life that you have. Now, I don't know if you've been camping before, but camping is super uncomfortable, isn't it? Even you men who like to camp, you really only like to camp for like one night, and then you wish you could come home, but you committed to your kids to be out there a couple nights, so you've got to tough it out. I remember when Amanda and I had been married, I think, uh, less than a year, we went to this kind of outdoor conference type thing, in, um, in, uh, and it was this big, massive thing, 50,000 people all camping out, big concert deals. Uh, it was a really amazing thing. And so we decided, hey, let's go and let's camp out. Now, uh, I love my wife. She would admit today, if she were up here, she's not a camping person. She's a hotel person. Uh, any hotel people in here? Yeah, okay, that's like everybody, like 90% hotel. The other 10%, you're just lying. You know, everybody would rather stay in a hotel. And so... But we're like, yeah, let's do the experience. Man. Let's camp out. It's going to be awesome. And so we show up, and we got our tent, and, and uh, you know, I set up the tent like a man, and, uh, and Amanda starts looking at it, and there are a few clouds kind of rolling in the sky. Not very many, but just a few. And she starts looking at it, and then she remembers that some of her family and friends have an RV on the other side of the place. And she's looking at the tent, and she's thinking about the RV, and she says, I love you so much. Uh, would it be okay if I go and stay in the RV? And, man, you know, what am I going to say? You know, no, I want you to stay out here and rough it with me. That's actually what I did say. She looked at me, and then I said, fine, go. You know. <laughs> so my beautiful wife, not camping out anymore, hanging out in an RV. Meanwhile, somehow when the night starts, I'm sleeping next to three dudes. <laughs> it's pouring rain. The wind is blowing, rain is starting to puddle up in the tent, and now I'm wishing for the RV. It was miserable. It was a miserable night, because camping is uncomfortable. Tents are uncomfortable. This is a tent. This life that you have, it is a tent. But most of us spend all of our time and energy trying to make this tent feel like a permanent house. 
trying to decorate it like it's a permanent house, make an investment in it like it's a permanent house, trying to make it as comfortable and as polished as possible. And what the scripture is reminding us today is no matter how hard you try, this is just a tent. It's just temporary. It doesn't last. And the, the, the sad thing is, because in and of itself, making your tent really comfortable is maybe not necessarily bad, but the sad thing about trying to make something temporary feel permanent is we end up investing everything we have in the tent. The tent that's going away. And we look back and we've spent large chunks of our life and all we've done is for the tent. We bought a bunch of stuff for the tent. We decorated a bunch of stuff for the tent. We shined up the tent. And at the end of the day, it's going away. And we haven't put any thought into what is coming that's permanent. We've not put any thought about what's coming on the day of days when Jesus returns. And we exchange the tent for something with foundations. That's why it's hard for us to understand what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6. You'll recognize it when you hear it. He says, don't collect for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But collect for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves don't break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So what Jesus is saying is, listen, don't invest in the tent. Why? Because there's no security in the tent. I mean, you think that zipper is keeping anybody out? What's always in the tent? Weather is always in the tent. The cold is always in the tent. It's not hard to break into a tent. You don't need tools. All you got to do is lean on it. (laughs) And when you store your treasure in the tent, the tent cannot contain it. The tent cannot protect it. That's why the happiness we get in this life from the things of this world, they don't last. It doesn't last. I mean, is anybody still full from Christmas? No. No, you're already flipping and I'm already flipping through catalogs wondering what we're going to get next. Already searching the internet for the big purchase that we need to make, even though we've just made a bunch of purchases and received a bunch of gifts. Already looking for the next thrill. Already looking for the next filling. Why? Because when you store treasure in tents, the tent cannot keep the moth out. The tent cannot keep the weather out. The tent tent cannot keep the thief out. So don't invest your treasure in the tent. You invest it in heaven where the weather doesn't get in and where thieves don't break in and steal. Moth and rust don't destroy. There is a place to invest your life in my life. But it's not in the tent. And look how Paul, back in 2 Corinthians, describes how we should feel about what's to come. Look at verse 2. He says, Indeed, we groan in the body, desiring to put on our dwelling from heaven. Look at verse 4. It says, Indeed, we groan while we are in this tent, burdened as we are, because we do not want to be unclothed, but clothed. See, there should be a part of you that groans. Groan means to to complain with strain and pain. You know, groaning is not whining. 
groaning says, I feel something so deeply. There's strain here. There's, there's even some pain as I'm, as I'm telling you this and pouring out my heart before you. I groan. When death surrounds you on all sides, you groan for what's to come. When tragedy has knocked on your front door, you groan for what's to come. When loss seems to be the only path in front of you, you groan for something better. Even your spirit inside of you knows that this is a tent. That's why when things like Newtown happen, you go, gosh, get me out of here. I don't want to live in a place like this. Even with all of its comforts and all of its polish, something broken about this place. That's you groaning for what's to come. Look how he described what's to come. In verse 6, he says, So we are always confident and know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we walk by faith and not by sight. Meaning while we're at home here, we know we're not at home. We're living by faith. We can't see home. But we're not living by what we can see. We're living by what we believe. And we are confident and satisfied to be out of the body and at home with the Lord. I love in Philippians chapter 1, the Apostle Paul is kind of having an argument with himself right in the middle of the scripture. He's saying to the Corinthians, listen, I don't know what I want right now. If you're going to ask me, what would I rather have happen? Would would I rather die and, and go and be with Jesus and go and be home? Or would I rather stay here among you and be really fruitful and continue the ministry that God has given me? He said, I'm hard pressed between the two. What he's saying is they're both right answers. He, he understood home. I'm, I'm just honest today. Like, I'm not ever hard pressed between the two. Would you rather die or would you rather stay here? No, I'd rather stay here. Would you rather finish this life and milk out every sense of satisfaction and thing for self and enjoyment that I can and then go to heaven? Or would you just rather right now go to heaven? If I'm being honest, and I think maybe you're being honest, I think I want to live everything I can right now. Long, good, long life. And then whatever happens after is just icing on top, I guess. That's not in the Apostle Paul's mind. He's like, no, that is home. That's home. That's permanent. That lasts forever. What is to come? This is just a tent. Who wants to stay in a tent? I think one of the reasons that I don't feel hard-pressed like Paul, maybe you don't either, is because I got all kinds of different twisted thinking about heaven. And somehow it's this beautiful, sin-free place that I am trapped in. I mean, isn't that what you hear about heaven? It's just, I'll just be singing forever. That sounds good, but like, how many years can you just sing? Like, I don't know. And so, some of us don't want to go there yet because we don't know what it's going to be like. But heaven is described as a paradise, 
It's described as a massive table where we sit around and eat. It's in the presence of God himself. An amazing relationship with him. There's a lot of mystery about what heaven is going to be like and what eternal life will will look like. But when you start writing it down in the scripture, there's actually a lot that we can know. And so I would love to just read you what we can know from the word of God about what our future place is going to be like. And I didn't do this in the first service and I kind of regretted it. But if you would just mind closing your eyes and just firing up your imagination. Heaven is the dwelling place of God. His will is done there because He alone reigns and rules in heaven. Multitudes of the redeemed worship the Redeemer in heaven. And they serve God there. And they are from every tribe and every tongue and every nation of this planet. And angels are always singing songs of adoration in heaven. There is no sin in heaven. Therefore, there is no pain, no sickness. There is no reason to cry in heaven. No shadow of death hangs over heaven. And there is rest there. There's nature in heaven. It's wild and breathtaking and safe. And there is a city in heaven. It's a city that shines like crystal. And there are walls around this city on every side. And those walls are made of precious jewels. And there's a foundation around this city. And the names of the apostles are etched on it. Peter, James, John, and the rest. There are 12 gates all around the city. Meaning you can come and go as you please. And the angels guard the gates. And the gates are made of pearls. And only the righteous, only the saved, only the redeemed are allowed in this city. There's a street in the middle of this city. It's a street that's made of pure gold. And when the light hits it, the gold looks like it's transparent because of its purity. There's a stream that runs alongside the river and alongside the stream in the middle of the city. There are trees of healing for all the nations. And at the end of the street, at the end of the street is the throne of God. And next to the Father is the Son a scar-marked king. And in his city, the king of every king and the Lord of every Lord acknowledges us. He says, I know him. I know her. He is mine. She is mine. In his city, 
on that day, the king will acknowledge you if you acknowledge him in your city. That's home. And when I think about that, then I'm like, yeah, let's get this over with. When I think about that place, looking like that in that city, well, I get Paul. I feel his pressure. I'm hard pressed between the two. But look what he wants to look at what he wants the Corinthians to do in light of this permanent home that we will have. He says in verse 9, Therefore, whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to be pleasing to Him. For we must all appear before the tribunal of Christ, so that each may be repaid for what he has done in the body, whether good or worthless. So because home is coming... Because that day is coming. What do we do with this day? Well, the importance of that day overflows into this day. And so I'm going to make it my aim today to please Him. That that's my target. That's the goal of today. is not to please you and not to please me, but to please Him. Why? Because we're all going to have to appear before His judgment seat. Two judgments awaiting us in heaven. The great white throne of judgment where we will be judged based on what we did with Jesus. Did you... Did you embrace Jesus as Lord of everything? Or did you ignore Him? Or did you reject Him? Did you put Him off? And for those who did acknowledge Jesus as Lord, there's a second judgment. Not on whether we should get in or out, but on what we did while we were in this tent. And I love that my Bible translates it, whether good or worthless. Your Bible may say evil or bad. It's a Greek word. There are four main Greek words used in the New Testament for evil or bad. And this is the fourth one. It's the least used. And it's got this connotation of of worthlessness. And I love that because, you know, the simple choice for me is I can reflect on the end of my day. Did I do more good things or bad things? Well, hopefully at the end of the day, I did more good things than I did evil things. But when you bring in the word worthless things, well, I do a lot of worthless things. I do a lot of things that are of no account, that won't matter. So what the Bible is saying is there's a day coming, there is a home coming for us that is so significant that it makes this day significant. And even though we're living in a tent that's so temporary and is being dismantled right before our very eyes, these days are important. And this life is important. Because we're going to stand before the judgment seat of Jesus. And he will repay us based on what we did with the tent. But the tent is temporary. So let's make sure that we're not trying to store treasure in it. And let's make today count. Because there is a day that counts most of all. Father, help us to see it. Help us to see it. Just in a spirit of prayer, I want to ask you a question that maybe you haven't 
been asked in a long time. It sounds kind of like an old question, but I think it's especially relevant today. If today was your last day in this tent, if you died today, would what we just read about heaven, will you experience that? Do you know for sure that when this tent of yours is finally broken down and only your soul is left, will you be in the city with the Son of God? And if you answer that question honestly and you say, no, I'm not sure that I will be in that city, and you want to, you want heaven to be in the future for you, then just pray this out of faith from your heart with me. Jesus, I believe in you. I make you the Lord of my life. I believe that you are the way. I believe that you are the truth. And I believe that you are the life. And so I come to you. Save me from sin and death and hell. I give my life to you. And just a spirit of prayer and honesty before God. If you pray that with me today, today is the day that you are becoming a follower of Jesus. Would you just raise your hand? No one's looking around. Just say, today is, is my day. Today is my day. Father, I pray that for all of those who have lifted their hands, that you would show them that you have heard their prayers. We know from your word that you have. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But I pray they would have complete confidence that they are yours and you are theirs today. In Jesus' name.